Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're going to read through Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 to 24. So, chapter 2, verses 12 to 24, or capítulo 2, verso 12, até o 24. So, 1, 12. Então passei a considerar a sabedoria e a loucura e a astúcia. Que fará o homem seguir ao rei? O mesmo que os outros já fizeram. 13. Então vi a sabedoria é mais proveitosa do que a astúcia, quando a luz traz mais proveito do que as trevas. 14. Os olhos do sábio estão na sua cabeça. Mas o astuto anda em trevas. Contudo, entendi, o mesmo lhe sucede a ambos. 15. Pelo que disse eu comigo, como acontece ao astuto, assim sucede a mim. Porque, pois, busquei eu a mais sabedoria. Então disse a mim, mesmo que também isso era vaidade. 16. Pois tanto sábio como astuto, a memória não durará para sempre, pois passará alguns dias. Tudo cai no esquecimento. Ah, morre o sábio, e da mesma sorte o astuto. Pelo que aborrecia a vida, pois foi penosa a obra que se fez debaixo do sol. Sim, tudo é vaidade correr atrás do vento. Eitim. Também aborreci todo o meu trabalho, com que me afadiguei debaixo do sol, visto que o ganho eu havia de deixar a quem viesse depois de mim. E quem pode dizer se será sábio ou astuto? Contudo, ele terá domínio sobre o próprio ganho das minhas fadigas e sabedoria debaixo do sol. Também isso é vaidade. Tuene. Então me apanhei porque o coração se desparece do meu todo trabalho que me afadigará debaixo do sol. Porque é um homem cujo trabalho é feito com sabedoria, ciência e destreza. Contudo, deixará o seu ganho como porção por ele e não se esforçou. Também isso é vaidade e grande mal. Porque tem todo homem o seu trabalho e fadiga do seu coração, em que ele anda trabalhando debaixo do sol? porque todos os dias são dores e o seu trabalho desgosto. Até a noite não descansa o seu coração. Também isso é vaidade. 24. Não há nada melhor para o homem do que comer, beber e fazer que sua alma goze o bem de seu trabalho. No entanto, vi também que isto vem da mão de Deus. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be here together collectively as a family. Lord, we ask that you would speak very clearly to our hearts. Lord, we're grateful uh, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're grateful for the work that you allow us to do here. And Lord, we, we pray that you would continue to move, that your Holy Spirit would um, be evident here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. And you can do better than that. Good morning. Thank you. So uh, my name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. If you're new, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. 
Um, it's been a week. Everybody that I've talked to, I'm like, how's your, how are you doing? They're like, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Everybody's tired. Lots of people sick. Lots of people tired. Um, <clears throat> my daughters and uh, Tally just got back from, what, a two and a half week trip, three o'clock this morning, three week. It's debated whether it's two and a half or three. So um, it's just been a lot. And I was processing through this series that we've been going through. And I think oftentimes when you're exhausted just from work and then you have to mentally focus on what a book like Ecclesiastes is telling us, it can actually begin to kind of wear on you a little bit. And so we're going to be picking up exactly, you know, basically right where we left off last week. Last week we looked at Solomon and this idea of him pouring himself into pleasure right? So we're answering this question, what is, what is the good life? What, what is life supposed to be like? And I think what makes Ecclesiastes so real to all of us is that it is just so real. Like Solomon doesn't pull any punches. These first two chapters, he's really just evaluating everything that he is and everything that he's done. And we find that he finds very little hope outside of the Lord in, in his success in last week, um, engaging in just um, the world and pleasure. And this week, he's going to kind of further that, and he's going to engage in what he would call wisdom. And we had this at the beginning a little bit, but he's going to dive a little bit deeper. And so um, we looked at foolishness last week. I guess we look at wisdom this week. And it's just a fascinating and very logical explanation how um, Solomon ends up explaining this. So if you turn to your Bibles, I'm going to assume, Greg, that you got that right because I don't speak Portuguese. So if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 12, it says this, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. So he's looking at, I guess, his future. And he's processing kind of the end of his life. He's going, look, I, I'm the king of Israel. I've got all of this stuff that we talked about last week. I've got all of this opportunity. I've got more money than anybody in the world has ever had. I have um, the, the pleasures of the world that we talked about last week. And as he's looking at that, he's, he's trying to process through wisdom, what does it look like when I come to the end of my life? Like, I'm not going to be king forever. There's going to come a point where somebody else is going to take the position that I have. And this is going to be a theme throughout this passage where Solomon really kind of dives into this idea of going, there's, there's struggle in trying to process that as a human being. Like, all of the toil, all of the labor, all of the work that I've put into this life eventually I'm going to be gone and what is going to remain is the question. And who's going to take that? Verse 13, he says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So he makes this really cool, I mean, this, like I said, this is really practical. I don't know if you've ever process something like this before. I remember the very first time that this concept really struck me on a real level. And I was playing soccer in high school. 
and I wasn't starting. And I remember the, the I was a freshman on the this varsity soccer team, and all of the upperclassmen they spent a lot of time outside of practice, either drinking or partying or doing whatever high school students do, right? And I remember that wasn't really my thing. So, and I, and I had this conscience to say, I don't really want to do that. That's not really how I want to live. And I remember coming to my dad and saying, dad, I don't get it. It feels like they can just do whatever they want and the rewards are still there. Like, I remember the specific question I asked him was, if what they're doing is wrong, then when do the consequences actually hit? And if you kind of dig a little bit deeper, what I'm really asking is, is me denying myself those pleasures really worth it? Because on the outside, it doesn't really appear that it's impacting. And that's kind of the question that Solomon's asking. He's saying, look, is it beneficial to live a life that's maybe morally good? Is it beneficial to live a life that's grounded in wisdom as opposed to foolishness? Is there any benefit to it whatsoever? As you get older, and I got older, this, this changed a little bit. I still ask those questions sometimes, right? Because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I'm full at times. And you're like, well, when would that be? I don't know, yesterday when I was pulling out of here and I pulled up to this little street over here and there's nobody there and I'm looking at this sign that says no turn on red and I'm like, I'm going anyway, right? Like we've all done that, right? And I did. And there's a part of me that goes, oh, I shouldn't do that. This is a bad example. But the other part of me is like, there's not gonna be any consequences for it anyway. Or maybe when you're doing your taxes. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. So we have these moments, even as adults, where we are weighing whether or not walking in the light or walking in the darkness is going to reap benefits or ramifications to us. And oftentimes we question that over and over. So Solomon makes this really cool comparison here where he, he compares wisdom to light and he compares foolishness to darkness. And once again, this is just practical. He's just asking the question. Outside of God, just looking at the world, is it better to live in the light or in the dark? And obviously, I mean, a, a child would say, well, it's always better to live in the light, right? I, there are moments, I, and I, I've processed this so many times, like I sometimes will get up in the middle of the night and I'm going to go do something. It might be get a drink of water or maybe I've heard a noise or use the restroom, whatever it is. And I have this aversion to turning on lights and I don't know why. Right, And then I thought through it, I'm like, it may have something to do with, so where's my light-eyed people in here, right? Like the, the, when you're in dark room and you have light eyes and it gets really bright really quick, it just burns, right? And so maybe that's it. But I remember this time when I was back living in California and I got up for something. And I don't remember what it was. And I just refused to turn on lights. So I'm walking down the hall trying to feel my way going, Right. And then I, whatever I had, I dropped, this was so long ago, and I bent down to pick it up, and in doing so, apparently I did that very quickly and hit my head on an oak piano that was in our house and theoretically knocked myself out, right? I ended up, the, the, this was a tiger oak piano. I hit it so hard that I actually took a chunk of wood out of the piano. And I remember kind of wandering back to bed, and I'm bleeding, and I'm like, Christy, like, and all she said was, why didn't you turn on the light? And 
I didn't have an answer to that, one, because I was concussed, but two, because <laughs> I didn't have an answer to that. I didn't know. It's like, do you ever do those things wrong and people go, why did you do that? And you're like, do you really want me to answer this question? Because I don't have a clue. I just chose to do it. I just made the decision. I didn't think through it because if I thought through it, I would have turned on the light. Walking downstairs, is it better to turn on the light or is it better to walk in darkness? There's this great analogy here where where Solomon's really saying, if we just were to, to, to take life and separate everything out from it, like, okay, maybe there's this God and maybe he exists and and religion or whatever, but just living a life, it's definitely better to live a life in the light than in the darkness. The ramifications are less. If I turn on the light when I'm going down to the basement, I'm less likely to fall, right? And that it translates over to life really, really well. And so we get this positive moment in the midst of all of this difficulty and this self-evaluation from Solomon where he's like, listen, in really evaluating this concept of wisdom, I have learned that wisdom is better than folly. I have learned that it's better to walk in the light than the dark just because of the natural ramifications of the darkness. And then he takes that and he says, okay, so if it's better to walk in wisdom, if it's better to walk in light than darkness, then is wisdom the answer? Like, is that it? If I just make myself more wise, will that be the good life that I'm looking for? And so where he moves from here is he said, okay, choosing between light and darkness or wisdom and folly, I choose wisdom because it, it makes sense. But now if I evaluate wisdom at a deeper level, where does it take me? And so we move on. He says this, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this this also is vanity. For of the wise and of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. Okay, so I want you to follow his, his train of thought here. He's looking at this choice between wisdom and fall, and he says, wisdom, light, that's better. Like that, that makes more sense. But when I process this to a deeper level, what I'm realizing is that it doesn't matter if I'm wise or if I'm foolish, the end to the wise and the foolish is the exact same. He's he's bringing us to this point that every single human being has to deal with, and that is that one day we will die. And if I choose to live in a foolish way, yes, I might die quicker. And I've told you stories about dumb things that I've done, right, where I, I probably should have died quicker. So I might die quicker if I live foolishly. I might die, I might live a little longer if I live in wisdom. However, 
the end result is every single human being will eventually die. So what's the point? So theologically, what Solomon is wrestling with is this idea of the curse. He's realizing that wisdom can't conquer death. No matter how wise an individual is, no matter how much impact they make with their wisdom on the world, they are getting older by the day. The the clock is ticking. There is an end. It's there. And every human being has to deal with this concept of death, that we know that our time here is limited and we don't know when that's going to happen. And as he processes this through this lens of wisdom, he's saying it's so frustrating to think that no matter how careful I live, no matter how much wisdom I employ, no matter how much I use that wisdom to impact the world in positive ways, the end result is I'm still going to die just like the fool did. And it frustrates him. I mean, it frustrates him to the point that he, he comes back to these sayings that he's been saying, it's just vanity, it's chasing the wind. I don't, is it even worth it? It's so frustrating to think. So he says, look, wisdom, wisdom can't conquer the curse. Theologically, it takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, right? And we talk about this quite a bit, the fall. It's, it's the reason that everything is such a mess. It's the reason why we're living in sin-cursed bodies and sin-cursed world. It's the reason why, you know, people say bad things happen. I'm always frustrated when an individual asks the question like, well, if God is good, why do bad things happen? And you listen to people answer it who are Christ followers, and they go, well, I don't know. And I'm like, of course you know. It's, it's written down for us in Genesis chapter 3. It's, it's the curse. Mankind at the fall was cursed by God that his days would be numbered, that we would have to experience death. And it is what the world since then has been battling. It's that one thing that's over our head that can never go away. And as Solomon processes this, he just is, it's overwhelming to him. But he doesn't just stop there. He he comes up with another complaint. It's not just that I'm going to die someday just like the fool dies. In fact, what's interesting is if you really dive into this and you think about like people dying, some people who die the most foolish of deaths are remembered longer than people who die the sa- you know, living a safe life, right? It's, it's really interesting how that works. And maybe he's processing that as well. We were, Christy and I were watching a movie it was sometime this week, and I can't remember the name of it, and I wouldn't endorse it probably anyway. But however, we were watching this movie, and it was a war movie, and this guy was in war, right? He, was, he wasn't supposed to be there, but he, and he had no idea what was going on, but he finds himself in the middle of Vietnam, and he's just doing the dumbest things that you could possibly do, right? Like all of the soldiers are like, stop, like you're going to get yourself killed and us killed, and he just kind of stumbles through this war, and nothing ever happens to him. He never dies. And one of the commanders pulls his friend aside, and he's like, you know, I've, 
been in a war a long time, and what I've really realized is that sometimes you just meet people who are too dumb to die. Right? And I'm like, that's such a great quote. It's so true. I can definitely use that in my life, right? Like, like you're just stumbling around and, and you're just, you're so oblivious to the fact that what you're doing might actually kill you that it doesn't kill you, right? I, I think when Solomon's processing this, that's what he's saying. He's like, man, that guy that I know that is just a fool all the time and just doesn't die doing crazy stuff, eventually we're both going to have the same end. But then he moves on. He says, that's not it. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. This is interesting. Verse 19, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will master, he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also a vanity. So this is his second complaint. Okay, first complaint. Doesn't really matter if I live a life of wisdom or folly, even though I accept that wisdom is better and it's better to walk in the light because we're both going to die at some point. Second issue, I'm looking at all of the hard work that I'm doing and realizing that when I die, I'm going to be passing that on to somebody, and that person may not be wise. It means that all the toil, all the hard work, at the end of this passage, he talks about like not being able to sleep because you're working so hard. You're thinking, like, think about the things that you, you process at night because you're working so hard, right? I mean, if you've ever owned a business, you get this, right? Like, it, it's, hard, it's hard to own a business to begin with. It's hard to realize that you've got to make the decisions and that this kind of dies or lives on, on what you do. And the worry over that can sometimes cause you to lay in bed at night and go, okay, how are we going to pay the bills next? Or, man, we need more employees, right? Which is basically the whole world right now. And, and Solomon's going, I, I worked so hard. I employed so much wisdom. This kingdom that I have built is massive. It's blessed. It's, it's, there's so much to it. And I've just realized that I'm going to die at some point, and, I'm, and all of this that I've built is no longer going to be mine. All of this that I've worried about, that I've lost sleep over, it's all going to go to somebody else. And if you study scripture, you know that his kingdom, as soon as he dies, end up getting divided, right? And just becomes a huge mess. So he's somewhat of a prophet here. He knows his children, I guess. And he's saying, they're not gonna do it the same way that I did it. I employed wisdom to get to this point, 
But it's possible that the next person that comes along, say, in his position as king, may be an absolute fool, which means that all the hard work that I did could just be for naught. That's hard to process. I've done this. Okay, so there's been a couple of a couple of instances. I was trying to think of examples of this where, um, so when I first graduated from college, Christy and I owned a restaurant and catering business in California. And when we felt called into full-time ministry, we sold that catering business to some individuals who I went, they're not going to make it. All this work that we did, um, all this hard effort that we put in, that business is not going to make it because they don't have the commitment to it. They're not going to put the time in. I can already tell. And it didn't take long. And we went back in a couple years and it was just gone. And I remember processing that. Like, man, I, we worked so hard to see that thing become the influence that it was. And it's just gone. The other example I can give is when I was pastoring in California. And um, when I left, the, the church brought somebody in to replace me who was just a bad fit. And I watched the ministry that the Lord allowed me to build just begin to slowly crumble. In fact, to the point where that church doesn't even exist anymore. They had to merge with another church. And I just go, it's so painful to watch that happen. But if you can just Try to process your life's work, all that you've stressed over, all that you've put time into being handed over to someone who just goes, ah, all right, this is cool. When my grandmother died, one of my grandparents, we had to go through her house, and there were so many things in her house that she valued. She kept all this stuff, right? And every one of them had a memory to it. Like for her, it was like, that is so valuable and so important. And then we walked in and maybe I didn't know the story of it. And we would look at stuff and I'm just like, why does she have all this junk? Like what? This is crazy. Why does she save all this junk? And I remember coming home that day and looking at the junk that I had. And I thought, man, this is fleeting. Like that means something to me, but... When I'm gone, is it really going to mean anything to anyone else? Solomon takes it even further to go, are you even going to be remembered? Like, there's not a lot of people that are remembered for very long. There's the few. But most people, no matter how hard they work in their life, no matter what they achieve by human standards, they're going to be forgotten over time. You know, I, I don't think about as often like my grandparents who I've lost. I just, every once in a while. But it feels like every year, those memories fade a little bit more. As Solomon's processing this, he's inviting us in to be reminded that no matter how much we employ wisdom, one day we're going to die. No matter how much we employ wisdom into our work, one day that work is going to be passed on to someone else. So hard work, wisdom, it, it can't defeat death, 
And it also can't ensure in any way whatsoever that we'll ever be remembered or that what we have built will be lasting. And this becomes the dilemma. And so depressing. I mean, this is where this is that, you know, those real moments where Solomon is asking us to really evaluate if that's true, which it is, this is just logical way to think then what's really the point? Now, praise God he doesn't leave us there. Because if I left you there or he left us there, then we would just be like, yeah, I, don't, I have no idea what the point is. Like this is, the wisest man in the world is de- has developed this train of thought for me and what does it really matter? But here's where everything changes. For two chapters of this book, Solomon has just been blowing our minds apart and helping us process where we're putting our value, what we're doing. Is it worth it? Constantly saying, I've experimented with all of this and there's nothing there. And then finally, at the end of verse 20, at the end of this second chapter in verse 24, finally God's going to come into the picture in a very real way. He's been evaluating all of this from a human standpoint. And now he's like, you know what? I can't do that anymore. It's too depressing. Left to my own device, I'm just going to process this. It's going to take me into a depression, and I'm no longer going to be wise. I'm just going to buy into foolishness. I'm going to die early. But he says there's something else. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This sounds like a contradiction right off the bat. He's gone from, man, there is no point in in being wise. There's no point in working hard because it's just going to go to a fool or they're just going to destroy it anyway. Or it's the mom going, we just can't have nice things, right? Because they just come in and destroy everything. Or one day we're just all going to be gone anyway. It doesn't matter how I live. It's all the same. And then he gives, he moves directly into there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Like I said, it sounds like a contradiction. Wait, you just said there's no point. And now you're saying the, the best thing that we can do in the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of the reality that you are going to die, in the midst of the reality that you may be forgotten, in the midst of the reality that all the work that you've put in could potentially be passed on to somebody who's just going to squander it. In the midst of all of that, he says, there is an ability to actually enjoy the work that you're doing. And this is when our ears should go, oh, thank you. But here's the, here's the beauty. It, it can't come from the wisdom that he's employed before. It's going to have to come from other. And so that's where he goes. Let me read it again. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? This becomes the answer. This is where the gospel speaks into it as, to us as Christ followers. Because the gospel actually answers both of the complaints that Solomon gave. 
The first one, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, but Jesus conquered death. Jesus' death becomes the death of death. Jesus' death is the only thing that ends up conquering death. Jesus' death and resurrection ensures that those who accept his gift won't die for eternity. Though the curse remains, we'll have to die a physical death. Our soul lives on. We're reunited with our creator. All of that, all of those promises, that, that, that stuff that we're waiting for, we just go, man, I, I'm, I'm ready for the day when I'm no longer in this sin-cursed body, in this sin-cursed broken world, and I'm ready for just it to be what it's supposed to be, what I know it's supposed to be, what it was created to be at the beginning. And it's the gospel that conquers that. That, that changes everything. You realize that the most important question that any human being will ever have to answer, whether you want to do it from a philosophical standpoint or a religious standpoint or an, ex, um, an existential standpoint, is what happens when I die? Am I just gone? This, is, this question's been asked throughout the centuries, right? The greatest philosophers in the world have asked this question. And Jesus answers it. He says, well, the answer to that depends. It depends on whether or not you've been reconciled to your creator or not through the work of Jesus. And if you have, then the answer is it just gets better. Death is no longer something that you have to fear. Death isn't final for the Christ follower. It's a doorway to be with the one that saved us. It's the ability for us to spend the rest of our days with our true love. It's the removal of the curse and the replacement of perfection. It's giving us back what we lost and had to suffer through for so long. There's no Christ follower on the planet who should ever fear death. We support a missionary. His name is Pastor Karem. He's in Turkey, and he has one of my favorite quotes of all time. So he obviously is a church planter in, um, in a Muslim world, and obviously he gets persecuted pretty heavy. And one day, I'm going to say this so nonchalantly, one day he got kidnapped, and um, he was thrown into a van with you know, the bag over his head, and off they took him. And then they took him to some remote place, and they pulled the bag off his head, and they held a gun to his head, and they said, you stop preaching or we're going to kill you. And do you know what his answer was? Write this down. It's the best answer I've ever heard. You can't threaten me with glory. Think about that. Death isn't a threat. Because if you pull that trigger, it just puts me where I want to be anyway. Paul said this. I think Pastor Krim may have said it better. Ooh, that might have been heresy. Right? Paul says to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. Like, 
You can't threaten me by sending me to heaven. That's no threat to me. And they just they had no idea what to do. So they're just like, just go. Like, if we can't threaten him with death, what can we possibly threaten him with? That's the mentality that every Christ follower should have when we're viewing death. Death isn't the end for us. The gospel conquers death. Which means now when we employ wisdom, we realize that, the, that, that it does make a difference. That when we're serving the Lord, when we're living the life that he has purposed for us, when we're truly living for what he has given us to do to bring glory to Jesus in reconciliation to the Father, and we understand that purpose, that is what ultimately makes the difference. Because it moves into the second question. What we do for Jesus will last. It's not wasted toil. We were in a conversation last night after bingo. By the way, that was awesome. If you missed it, I'm sorry. Um, We were in a conversation last night after bingo driving home, and we were talking about... um, I mean, we're talking about a whole bunch of different things. And as we were processing through, like, what life looks like and, and, and what lasts and what doesn't, you realize that there's so many things that we can do but don't do that we could actually gain enjoyment instead of vanity. I've kind of come to the conclusion that outside of sin, okay, that's a big category. Outside of sin, you can almost do anything for the glory of Jesus. Like, you can toil all you want for the glory of Jesus. You can play your instrument for the glory of Jesus. You can work for the glory of Jesus. You can build a family for the glory of Jesus. It's that becomes the secret. When he says, there is, the goal is this enjoyment. And we go, well, then how do we enjoy this knowing that these two things are reality? Well, we tie that back to the gospel too and say, everything that we do for the enjoyment and glory of Jesus lasts. It, it, It stands the test of time. It it can't be destroyed by a fool coming in and attempting to change it. It's already there. As we were talking about that last night, it really, this is the beauty of the sovereignty of God. Like, this is why when we're serving the Lord and we're doing it with joy, and we're doing it for his glory, that it shouldn't keep us up at night. Because it's his. This is why when we find moments where we go, I just, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's the gift of God's sovereignty and the reminder that he's in control that allows us to close our eyes and have peace because we don't have to worry about what the future is going to look like. 
I don't have to worry about whether my work is going to be valued or held together when I'm gone. It will be because it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. It's, it's amazing how the gospel speaks directly to these specific complaints. And then this is where things get, this is my mind goes, right? You begin to take that first component of Solomon saying, it's better to walk in light than dark, practically. And then you take that decision to walk in light through the power of the gospel, and it ends up removing the fear of death and the fear of all of the toil that we put out and instead replaces it with Jesus-glorifying joy and fulfillment. That, it just turns everything upside down. Everything. So as I'm processing this, what I was realizing yesterday is that, so the things that I'm most worried about, the things that I am not enjoying it's very pot. The, the reason I'm not is because I'm not doing those in the Lord or I'm not just giving into his sovereignty. And therefore, those things, yeah, I'm actually determining that they're going to be a problem for me when I don't have to in the gospel. The flip side's true as well. If you're here today and you understand all of this and you're processing it and you're thinking about your life, and you're like, I'm just looking for that enjoyment. I'm just looking for that purpose. And you don't know Jesus, you'll never find it. You have to know Christ first. Everything else ends in death and regret, death and loss. Jesus, life. So what do we do with this? Well, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I would encourage you, maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel, that Jesus came and he lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death we deserve. Three days later, rose conquering what? Sin, Satan, and death forever. And he says, I'm offering this to you as a free gift so that you can live not the beginning of this passage, but the end of the passage. So what do you do? Well, I, I, there's nothing magical that has to happen. It's just transferring your faith from whatever it is that you're trusting into Jesus and Jesus alone. So I would say, man, ask some questions. Pray with somebody. I say this every week. You can come talk to me. You can talk to one of the pastors, or you can just turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And if they say, yes, say, can we go get some coffee together? Right now, tea, whatever. I have some questions. I want you need to know Jesus. I just... I need you to understand that the wisest person in the world, the person that will, there will never be anyone wiser born of a woman, right? That, I mean, this, this is it. It was Solomon. Scripture makes that very clear. This was his conclusion. You aren't wiser than Solomon. And his conclusion was, you got to know God. And the only way to know God is through Jesus. For those of you who know Christ, I think this is some, I mean, we've, we've, and I feel like for weeks we've just been, been beaten up, and I feel like this is like the best news we could ever get. 
The problem is, I, I don't know why we're not constantly employing it. What? We need to start looking at the circumstances of our life and realizing that no matter what happens, we're not threatened with glory. No matter how hard you work in Christ for his glory, you're guaranteed that the Lord's going to use it. We, we choose to employ the light of the gospel in wisdom because it allows us to have the peace of knowing that God is sovereign in all things. This is, this is, the, this is it right here. It's, it, it, re, it requires us and allows us and gives us the benefit of not having to carry that weight. So, for the Christ follower, the question is, well, what weight are you carrying that you shouldn't be? What are the fears? What are the worries? In my life, what I'm realizing is that those exist because I'm not inviting Jesus into those spaces. I'm not applying the gospel to you. But what awaits you is freedom and joy and peace, and life. So what needs to change? Think of one thing. That was maybe this past week that you go, man, what would happen if I applied the gospel to that situation? And then process this for one second, because I geek out on this. What if every person in this room did that? What would change in this city so much? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm grateful that you don't leave us in despair. I'm grateful that your words hold true. Lord, I'm grateful that you've created us to process, to think, to even our finite minds, Lord, can, can understand the simplicity of the difference between light and dark. <laughs> And Lord, when we do that, oftentimes it, it can feel hopeless. It can feel like these moments where Solomon is just saying, it's just, is it even worth it? But Father, I, I just first, I wanna pray for anyone in here who has never come to faith in Jesus. I ask Lord that in your sovereignty that you would move them, that you would soften their heart that you would help them to see lord that you would bring light the light of jesus into that dark heart and lord i ask that you would allow them to have the benefits of not having to fear death or toil or don't let them leave here without knowing you and father for your church I just pray that we would truly evaluate our heart and our circumstances through the gospel itself. Lord, show us through your Holy Spirit by your grace where we're not employing the gospel in certain areas of our life. And Lord, and replace the pain and the worry and the fear and the anger and the strife with enjoyment for the glory of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that gift. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.